Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Friday, July 9th, 2021. Drew, has the classic car show started up again at Bob's Big Boy in Toluca Lake? Yes. You mean our office down the street from where I live? Yes. yes. Well, I did, you know, that's the thing. I miss our office. Whenever I'm out in LA, Drew and I at least do one meal at the Bob's Big Boy. And that's kind of challenging on Friday nights because they do this amazing classic car show, which is great. But the downside is there is no parking. So it makes it a little challenging to get in there and get your Bob's Big Boy and slide into a from Royka booth and all that. Yes. I miss it. I haven't I haven't been since the shutdown. I, I went once where they were only do it was actually kind of fun. They were doing like a classic drive-in, like a drive-up. Yes. Um, yes. When the pandemic hit and everything shut down in March of last year, Bob's Big Boy, their solution to this problem was starting in late April, early May, they reintroduced car hop service. I mean, you'd order food, they'd go in and get it, and then bring it back out to, to you in your car. That made it difficult to do the car show because you needed every slot in the parking lot to, you know, for customers. Yeah. Which brings me to, to my other question here. They've got themselves branded as Bob's Big Boy Burbank. But isn't Bob's Big Boy in Toluca Lake? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Th- that's a weird distinction because the Gary Marshall Theater across the street, I think, also brands mm-hmm. itself as Burbank. But I sort of think that Burbank doesn't start until you get over the highway into, you know, the Olive and, and Alameda. I love that you mentioned the Gary Marshall Theater. I actually went there because it was the same thing. Well, what does that say? And and here's how they actually identify their location. The former Falcon Theater is located where the heart of the Burbank Media District meets the village of Toluca Lake. Other places, if you poke around, Toluca Lake is described as a neighborhood, but it's also a neighborhood that has its very own Chamber of Commerce. You actually lived in Toluca Lake. How did I still live in Toluca Lake? I'm just a little further down the road. I mean, Toluca Lake doesn't end until Lankershim. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a little. I don't know. That, that's interesting. I didn't realize there was this kind of push and pull. The weird part of it is that the city of Los Angeles absolutely insists that Toluca Lake is all inside of the the borders of the city of Los Angeles, where, of course, Burbank is like, well, you know, Burbank Media District. So if you want to poke at this or some of our other Southern California listeners, if somebody can answer definitively about what is Toluca Lake? Is it a village? Is it a neighborhood? I love it because of the, the old Hollywood ties. I mean, did you know Ronald Reagan also lived in this neighborhood at one point? Oh, is that why I get a kind of chill up my spine occasionally (laughs) while out and about? (laughs) Okay, well, off to a good start here, offending half of our listeners. Okay, well, if anybody has a different advantage there, we'd we'd love to have that. So, Well, you know, the the building that I live in is uh, an old building from the 50s, and apparently all of the stars once lived here, and there was an intercom system. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like Jerry Lewis and those kind of guys. Yeah, you were telling me. Yeah, and so every night at six, they would turn on the intercom system and they would start playing music and everyone would exit their apartment with a martini and have kind of a a party every night. Yeah, I love that story. Yeah, so that's kind of the the Toluca Lake that I like to think about, you know. 
No, that's cool. Okay, well, all right. Lots of news this week, so we should probably get to that. So, news portion of this episode of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online with storybookdestinations.com. Okay, as always, a couple of trailers dropped. First one was Adam's Family 2, which, Drew, I've learned the hard way not to necessarily bash the Adams Family franchise because if you remember the when the first trailers came out in 2019 I was pretty vocal about how bad I thought they looked and they looked like they you know it was the, the preliminary lighting that they hadn't finaled them or whatever and that film which cost MGM 24 million to make then went on to make 204 million worldwide so it was a hit so what the hell do I know right when I look at this new trailer with its family goes on RV trip around the country, I, it, it's one of those things where it's like, maybe that's actually is going to connect with some audience somewhere. Right. But of course, the wild card here is that just last month, we saw Hotel Transylvania Transformania shift out of its July 23rd release date and then move to October 1st, which is, of course, the exact same day that Iron Family 2 is going to be released and both of them are macabre family comedies and both of them both at least these two sequels are are basically road pictures yeah i don't know then neither one is budging so yeah that's the weird part you'd have to assume that there's going to be cannibalization right and it'd just be interesting to see if somebody does in fact decide to blink well is there a scenario that vivo does so well on netflix that they just put it on Netflix. They put Hotel Transylvania on Netflix. Hmm. They're going to have three movies this year that have been that have debuted on Netflix. So I don't know. How close are we to Vivo debuting on Netflix? I still haven't gotten a definitive release date, but everyone keeps telling me summer. So, I mean, it's there's not that much of summer left. So I don't know. It's so weird you say that because other trailer that just dropped within the past day or so, the Marvel What If trailer. Did you notice that doesn't have a locked in date either? It just it's August 2021. That does have a date is uh August 11th. August 11th. Okay, okay cool. Yeah. All right, I did not see that. Yeah. I'm just fascinated by the notion of these giant corporations with all of them so heavily invested in their subscription streaming services and it's like when's that coming out? It's like, ah, don't know yet. <laughs> Let me get back to you." Yeah. I mean, I think I think things are still very much in flux. All right. Well, uh, the reason I mentioned Vivo is we got our Encanto trailer. And of course, Vivo is the other project that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote music for. And I, I, I want to say the teaser trailer there is pretty upfront about the fact that that's a musical. My how far we've come from Frozen when they <laughs> did everything but bury the mu- I mean, if, if somebody asked somebody at Disney, they'd probably say, I don't know what you're talking about. There may be songs, there may not be songs. Listen, I'm not going to tell you, you know, but at least this well, is... Okay, that, which brings me to the our teaser trailer for Encanto. Kristen Anderson Lopez, wife of Bobby Lopez, the team that wrote the, you know, the music for Frozen, tweeted out yesterday, I am so excited to watch... Disney animations and Canto, the music, the horticulture, the lighting. Len Manuel is a master musical storyteller. And but when you look at 
that trailer, do you get any hint, really, that it's a musical? Yeah, I mean, there is a song in the trailer. I, you, ha- you had your, your uh, speakers on while you watched the trailer. I did. Right? Okay. I, I did, but there's one thing to have someone singing in the background where you're, you're piling on the imagery. Right. But I didn't get the vibe that this was a straightforward musical. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes me wonder what the Lopez's are working on for Disney. Because mm-hmm. you know there's got to be something. Also, there was the news that broke. It's the folks over Discussing Film who, who actually uh, managed to break this story. It's the, the Don Hall and the Quinn Young project that's supposedly coming in fall 2022. Yes. Yes. Um, I also have some exciting Disney animation news that I forgot to tell you, Jim, which is that Corey Loftus is back at Walt Disney Animation Studios. Oh, wow. He left okay. to go to Netflix, and he is mm-hmm. one of my favorite character slash production designers of the last mm-hmm. few years. He did Wreck-It Ralph mm-hmm. 2 and Zootopia, mm-hmm. and he is an absolute genius, and now he's back at Animation Studios. I wonder if they need someone like him for mm-hmm. subsequent Zootopia films. Just just theorizing here, Jim. But, uh, there we go. <laughs> All right, just, just slide back to en- Encanto. We had In the Heights drop, and that was an HBO Max thing too, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Or, okay. Films would have killed for the reviews that got. And then it comes out and it doesn't do the business that folks are expecting. Do you think maybe that impacted Disney's decisions about how to promote Encanto? Because face it, we've, we're only just getting our first poster now, and we're getting this trailer that does a pretty good job of sort of sketching out the other members of the family, but not necessarily our lead character. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there was also the, in the Heights was also embroiled in a very mild controversy as well. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. You think that they were maybe wanting to drift off the good buzz of in the Heights and now are kind of having to walk it back a little bit. I wonder. I also, I mean, this is one of those trailers where they're hiding the story. Right. Because they don't want to tip their hand too early. Nobody's better at promoting films than Disney. I don't want to say I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm I'm actually kind of confused. Right. I really want this one to work. But at the same time, this whole notion of we're making a musical and for God's sake, don't let them know we're making a musical. When they get here in the theaters and we have their money, then they can find out it's a musical. Right. I did read some plot synopsis that says that the main character has to go out on some kind of quest to save the family or something. So mm. I think we, we literally just got the tip of the iceberg and I, I'll be interested to see if all this animation makes it into the final movie, because as you know, well, a lot of times there's some test footage like the Coco diorama uh, sequence yeah. that they showed at D23 all those years ago. Yeah. I definitely want that. I, I think they called it the shoebox. Yes. I want to see that again. It was amazing. Speaking of Disney-related stuff, for all you Mickey Mouse fans out there, we've got Mickey the Brave debuting July 16th on Disney Junior. This primetime special is kicking off their new series, Mickey Mouse Funhouse, which I guess is the latest iteration of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, a Mickey-based show aimed at a younger audience, which is very, very different than what Paul Reddish is doing with Mickey. And and by the way, we, we should remind folks that season two of The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse also debuts this month, July 28th, just 12 days after uh, Mickey the Brave. And then we have the Star Wars Vision trailer for Disney+. Plus. What did you think of that? 
I really like that. I'm I'm really excited about that. I love that they actually mm-hmm. highlighted the different animation studios that are providing mm-hmm. the animation for the different episodes. And, you know, it's a nice, different take on Star Wars. We need We need some different ideas in the Star Wars galaxy. And I thought it was interesting that that was announced the same week that they announced basically that Zack Snyder was taking his Star Wars movie that he had pitched Disney and making it at Netflix under another title. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of interesting Star Wars-y related stuff this week. Speaking of which, as soon as we we wrap up here, I have to go over and watch the latest episode of The Bad Batch. That's right. From this point, I guess we've got three episodes left in season one. Yeah. That that there are other seasons coming our way. Yeah, if you're you're tired of Bad Batch now, buckle Mm. up, because we've got a long way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. And we talked briefly uh, a little bit ago about Marvel What If. and, And face it, we've had some imagery from the show previously. What did you think of this sort of full blown take on it. I thought it was, it was very exciting and cool. And I love that mm-hmm. a lot of the same crew members from troll hunters worked on this mm-hmm. season. So, you know, Jim, I, I still miss my troll hunters. So this will be, you know, a nice mm-hmm. scratch that itch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Another show, the centaur world trailer dropped last month. That one's uh, over at Netflix. Did you catch the trailer for this one? I, I've seen the show, actually. Oh, wow. Have you? Okay, yeah. So- I don't know how much I can talk about it, but it's a fascinating concept. Um, mm-hmm. should, I t- should I say what the synopsis is? Well, sure, 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 sure. So it starts out almost as like a Mulan type, you know, mm-hmm. very serious kind of action show with this young girl and her w- kind of war horse. And through magical circumstances, the horse is transported into this kind of pseudo my little pony ish universe where there's all these singing creatures that are very bizarre. And mm-hmm. so the warhorse and these creatures sort of set off to figure out what happened and to get the warhorse back to the kind of like more naturalistic world. And that's kind of the setup. So, yeah. Okay. So we've got folks who worked on star versus the force of evil on the show. And I have to say, from the trailer, it does have you know sort of a weird Owl House meets Amphibia vibe going for it. You know, the whole questy learning as you go in a magical world feel. It, it, it having watched an episode or two is is that kind of the right wheelhouse for the show? Yes. Or okay. yeah, I think so. Uh, I w- I will say I was not as immediately taken by Mm -hmm. it like i was amphibia and owl house i think amphibia now is like one of my favorite animated Mm -hmm. shows that's ever been on disney channel but you know and it could evolve like amphibia is about to enter its third season i totally think that Mm -hmm. i could see centaur world sort of casting that spell over the long run so i'm very Mm -hmm. curious to see what you'll think about it jim okay and you mentioned my little pony we've got megan mccarthy who worked on the My Little Pony franchise. She's the story editor on this. Whereas, and you mentioned the songs. We've got Toby Chu uh, composing. the. Re- I guess every episode includes songs, yeah. you know, like multiple songs. Though we're talking about My Little Pony, and you just got to see Space Jam, A New Legacy, which has every character known to man in it, but I think they have to have a tie yes. to, to Warner's. So 
you did not see any My Little Ponies in among the, the thousands upon thousands of characters, right? Or- I thought I might have spotted the Bigfoot from Smallfoot, Jim. That was my main, that was my big takeaway. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You'll have to watch it okay. and tell me if, I, if I'm <laughs> saying anything. I did not take anything before I saw Space Jam, but I think those those in the audience that do might have an enhanced experience, but... Okay, well, we'll tell you what, folks, on the second half of today's show, Drew is going to talk about your experience actually just getting on to the Warner's lot to see Space Jam A New Legacy was, was something of an adventure. And then yes. we also uh, have a surprise for you. We, we got the chance to chat with the, the director of New Legacy. Yes, Malcolm Lee, who... Yeah, the Malcolm yeah, Lee. Yeah, Malcolm Lee, who has a very, very interesting story to tell. Give us a few minutes here, folks, and we'll be back with that half of the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I guess we should talk a little bit about the first Space Jam movie because there was kind of a weird path <sighs> to the launch of this franchise. I mean, if we, if we must, Jim, if we must. How many movies can say, where did your idea come from? Well, it came from a Nike ad. The Harry Jordan ad, which aired in 1992, and then Aerospace Jordan, which aired in 93. And I want to say those ads both initially appeared on the Super Bowl, but they were directed by Joe Pitka. And evidently Warner Brothers fought them every step of the way. They didn't like the idea of making Bugs Bunny contemporary. They were concerned about how this was going to work. And then, of course, these these commercials become huge hits and that actually they were able to launch merch. And so that ends up with Ivan Reitman. He's on a plane. He's having a conversation with a Nike executive. And by the time the plane lands, they've agreed that they're going to make a movie with Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. And it's only then that Ivan Reitman calls, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, make a, you know, a movie with live actors and animation. Maybe I better talk to somebody who's done this before. So he, he calls Robert Zemeckis and Robert Zemeckis is like, Oh God, don't make this movie. You know, Roger Rabbit damn near killed me. But by then it's too late. It's kind of moving forward. Like, in fact, poor Joe Pitka only found out that the commercials you made were making a movie and we're starting in four months. So get over here and get to work, which is 
kind of sort of the story that that Malcolm tells about his time on Space Jam: A New Legacy. But well, and you know what's interesting is that Malcolm's cousin is is Spike Lee, and Spike yeah. directed those famous commercials with Michael Jordan back in the nineties as well. So there's he there's did a weird... he did yeah. doesn't Spike actually make a cameo in in Hair Jordan or Aerospace Jordan? Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. So the original Space Jam comes out in November of 96, costs 80 million to make, makes 250 million worldwide. So it's like, okay, let's do a sequel. And how many versions were proposed? I mean, we we got the Jackie Chan version, Spy Jam. There was supposed to be Race Jam with Jeff Gordon. There was supposed to be Skate Jam with Tony Hawk. Finally, in 2014, they get serious about a really for real new Space Jam movie, which again, drew got to see earlier this week uh yes yeah on tuesday i got to see it in the big the big theater on the lot which is always a treat when you get to see on on the warner brothers lot yeah can you talk about the various hoops you had to jump through to get onto the warner's lot to see space jam a new delegacy well jim loves the minutiae of this but basically you have to you have to go through a program that's a proprietary program that Warner Brothers set up to kind of prove that you don't have COVID, that you don't have any symptoms, you haven't been in contact with anyone. So you you do this series of questions and then you're sort of given a green light. And, you know, this is about probably the fourth or fifth time I've been to the, back to the lot during COVID. I mean, just this year, obviously, I was not I was not at the at the height of COVID. Nobody was going anywhere. But um you know, you have to kind of show this thing to the security guards. And I would always like do it 10 minutes before I got there and then have to redo it in front of the guy. And I mean, it, it is, it, it's a crazy process that you have to kind mm-hmm. of clear to go in. And then I was telling you that they actually had us park at the new parking lot for the studio tour. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yes. sort of on the other side of the, um, you know, where the, the New York Film Academy building is over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the other side of that. Again, is it in Toluca Lake? Is it in Burbank? There Who we knows? go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. Um, it's a so theme, then I had folks. To, okay. It's a theme. Yeah. But then I had to yeah. kind of figure out how to get to the theater from that new parking lot, which was fun. And I made it. I mean, I got there, you know, but, uh, it was uh, it was an experience. It was definitely I definitely earned my uh, my screening on that day. Well, now, sure. weren't you also saying what was kind of bizarre given the trip you made across the lot? How much of the lot is in fact featured in Space Jam: A New Legacy? Or oh yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a sizable portion of the movie. Basically, when LeBron James gets sort of abducted into this server verse world, he mm-hmm. is on the lot, sort of pitch getting pitched this thing, and so. There's a lot of the movie takes place on the lot. They're like they go to the lot looking for him. I mean, it, it's a lot of a lot of the Warner Brothers lot featured. And then of course, it's also in the new Warner Brothers logo, which I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen that yet, Jim, but the one that kind of swirls around the lot and then goes to the water tower. No. Oh yeah, it's see Jim, you need to be watching uh in the I I guess in the Heights just left HBO Max, mm-hmm. but you could have seen it on that. Um, okay. so that, that was fun. It was like, you know, seeing, you know, yourself in the movie a little bit while watching it there. So it was a lot of fun. Which now brings us to, uh, you know, thanks to the folks at, at Warner's, uh, we got the opportunity to, uh, interview Malcolm D. Lee, the director of Space Jam, A New Legacy, who didn't honestly have a whole lot of lead time on this, did he? 
Malcolm, I just wanted to ask you, since this is your first sort of, you know, visual effects heavy film, and there are visual effects in every scene almost, what that experience was like for you? And what, what was that learning curve like for you? Especially because you're coming in to the project later than you would normally be. Yeah, it was pretty daunting, never having had this extensive experience, you know, dealing with the visual effects. But the good thing was, the great thing was, you know, I had a great uh, ILM team to, you know, guide me and show me the ropes and educate me on what all, you know, it took. Not only, you know, during production, but, you know, obviously during, through, throughout post, Grady, uh, Kofer, and Kim Locasio are just, you know, fantastic director and producer. And so, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a big learning curve for me, but, you know, fortunately the, the 20 years of experience I've had as being a director allowed me to step into that role and say, okay, well, these are just storytelling tools and in, in the best possible way. You, you put something on screen, you're like, okay, that's great, but then they're gonna make it even greater. Right. So that, that was a you know, real education and just a, a real joy to, to know that next time I do something like this, I know what to expect. So now are you like, all right, I'm gonna direct a Transformers movie. No, I mean, is that like- <laughs> Okay. No. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Two years ago this week, you came on board and this thing had been in development five years at that point. Can you talk a little bit about that moment where it's like, get on board this giant thing involving all of these IPs? Oh boy. Um, it was, it was again, a very daunting task, a daunting ask and like very surprising because I didn't see myself doing a movie like this. You know, the basketball movie I had in my head was cause I'm a basketball purist. I love the game. I love to play. I love to watch it you know, it was more like uh, he got game or uh, you know, love in basketball, not Bugs Bunny, you know, on a basketball court, you know what I mean? But when they approached me, I said, well, all right, you know, let me see. And my wife and a lot of, uh, of the confidants were like, you got to do it. <laughs> they, they want you to do it. You got. I'm kind of like, but I don't know anything about visual effects or animation. But, you know, you know the studio executives were like, look, you're going to have great support. We need your sensibility, you know, to give us, you know, tone and we need coverage and we need humor and we need storytelling and that I could do. And so, again, once I kind of understood what was going to be ahead of me, it was I can't say it was easy. It was just like, all right, well, you know, you accepted the challenge. Let's go and do it. And literally had four days to prepare oh, and wow. preparing the entire I was prepping and shooting and developing all at the same time. Wow. Well, when the movie starts, you know, the, the Looney Tunes are sort of scattered to the four winds and they're in these other IP. My favorite was the uh, Fury Road with uh, the Roadrunner. But I was wondering how you came up with these scenarios. Were there other ones that didn't make the cut? Could you just talk about that process? Yeah, you know, I think when the, 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 the tune gathering montage morphed and shifted and changed quite a bit you know in some instances we had like you know full-on scenes for all of them either animated you know fully like you know we, we had we had a possibility of doing thundercats founding sylvester and thundercats possibly you know we were looking at friends you know the bachelor and then it was like ah we can't we can't first of all this, some of these things just are ridiculous let's not let's not <laughs> ourselves 
And then it was like, okay, what fits in seamlessly? What can be quick? What can be funny? Um, and be part of a montage, not like these whole scenes, because otherwise it's just going to drag down. So it was finding that balance of what was all was going was going to work. Matrix was an easy easy decision, you know. Granny being uh, Trinity was, was was great, and then you know having having Speedy do bullet time and finding Roadrunner and, and Coyote and, and Fury Road was was just also great, you know. Yeah, I mean, my, one of my favorites is, is, is Elmer Fudd and Austin Powers. I mean, it's just like, it's just perfect. It just, right. it just works, you know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's a lot of trial and error, you know, where, where, where your, your animation editor, Chris Cartagena, would come in and just try to, you know, like, let, let's, let's superimpose it. Let's, let's see how this works. Da, 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 da. But it, it takes a while, and, 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 you know, to, to get right. Well, you brought up Thundercats, and there's so many amazing characters watching the game, too. I mean, I was like furiously writing notes, you know, Frankenstein Jr. and Ghost, you know, Space Ghost and all this stuff. Uh, what was that process like of, of figuring out who was going to watch the game and how much of it was you and how much of it was like some, you know, nerd at ILM going, oh, we should have the Animaniacs or whatever. <laughs> it was a combination, you know, okay. a lot of people, a lot of live action, you know, characters you know, people dressing up in costume and makeup and hair, and they and they were fantastic. You know, a lot of times your background talent is like, you know, uninspired in their right. uh or they're overdoing it. Uh, but these were these people were great. They were there for weeks on end and be it be had their report at three o'clock in the morning and do hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, when it came to the post-production process, it was, you know, a lot of, let's let's throw everything up 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 against the, you know, up against the wall and see what sticks. And so, like, I wasn't familiar with Space Ghost, but I, huge McGilla Gorilla fan, huge Captain Caveman fan, loved the Flintstone, loved the Jetsons, loved Penelope Pitstop, you know? So it was like, and then, like, you know, I, did, I had never even seen the Iron Giant movie, but, like, we knew we had to have him. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was just, like, a, a, a bunch of stuff that we said, okay, like, what's going to, like, have, like, the most kind of impact? You know, the Gremlins. There, there was a lot that went into it, and we said, okay, this is going to be great. Right. This film is kind of a Valentine to the history of Warner Brothers studio. And you have a, a lot of executives who worked this company for a lot of years who, you know, could, Hey, I made that movie. going to just slide <laughs> that in there. Did you get any of that? Or yeah, we got somebody, the, the guy that wanted the, 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 wanted the hangover in there. We said, no, no, can't have the hangover. Unless you can get me Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> no, no, not really. You know, I, I think there was, there was some that, you know, it's it, it's a tricky thing because you don't want to be like you know a salesman for the studio. You don't want to be so obvious. You know we're gonna be meta. We want to be so you know we want to, don't want to go, go go overboard with it. We want to be clever. We want to be fun. We want to have you know we want to be funny. And so it just even you know LeBron passing by you know uh, Harry Potter world and you know Hufflepuff. I knew it. You know it's like it's so like it's such a fun little thing that you don't expect from LeBron. You know what I mean? So yeah, and then of course you got their signature stuff like. DC characters and whatnot. So we wanted to make sure we did that. You know, we toyed with it doing, doing it um, live action, but it was going to, you know, you know, be costly and time consuming. So, cause you know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. You, know, you can't just like, just, you know, throw just anything in there. And, you know, again, these things went through numerous iterations, numerous. Well, I was going to ask about the live action and, and animation sort of ratio, because in the first movie, uh, Michael Jordan comes down into a 2D world and he's still a human. But in this one, when LeBron is in the 2D world, he's a cartoon too. Was that just a 
scheduling thing, like getting him on the phone is a lot easier than having him in the studio? Or what was the thinking behind that? I wanted to have that opportunity. And again, this, that, 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 that decision had predated me. Okay. Um, but I love the idea of animating LeBron. Like I thought there was such a great, clever idea. And I'll, you know, and yes, what happens is it does give us a lot, a lot more freedom. But, you know, tell that to the animators who are like, we've got a deadline, we've got to hit. You know what I mean? So, you know, um, I think there was a desire for us to like have him be live action, like in the spaceship and things like that, wherever we could get him to be live action. But there were some scheduling conflicts, but you know, we were fortunate we got him in Casablanca and, and in, over in, uh, in Fury Road, in the Matrix. So that all like, you know, it all tracks and makes, you know, good sense. Right. Speaking of which, though, there's a, that great gag when he arrives in the animated world, you know, that I'm smaller than Kevin Hart. It is that kind of a nod to, you know, your pal from night school? It is. I don't, I don't think I even told him about it. I'm sure he's heard about it by now. He's going to want some kind of restitution. You're like, hey, Kevin, come on, it's a joke. It's funny, I, before I even worked with Kevin, I, I, I you know, both my, like my, 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 um, Girl Trip movie like has a Kevin Hart reference, and then and now this one does. So I love Kevin. I, I know he can take a joke. He he dishes them out. So we're good. Uh, can you talk about the design process of bringing these characters into three D? And I, I don't think they've ever been visualized in this way. Um, okay, yeah. Can you talk about that and working with ILM and what that process yeah, was like? like? Like that. That's you know one of the things that you know we were we were kind of like playing around with and talking about, and then, you know. We had an early iteration of, of Al G who like who turned the, uh, the tunes like, you know, like he was saying like, look, you guys have got to modernize. This was an early iteration of the script, um, you know, and we've got to. And so he was able to change them from from 2D to 3D, like with, with his finger. And I was like, oh, I like that. I like that aspect. So that was in the back of my mind. And when we started looking at what the tunes could be on the basketball court, I was like, OK, like this would be a good thing to, for us to have. And so the process of turning them from 2D to 3D was, was, a, was a long and detailed one in that what the kind of charm that the tunes have in 2D, not easy to replicate, you know? So there's a whole boot camp that happened with Devin Crane, who, who was our animated supervisors, animated direction, directors. It was a great liaison between the two and you know, went, to the, went, to, went to ILM and said, okay, this is how you gotta do this. This, this is the basis. And you gotta, they've gotta be more expressive. They gotta have creases here. They gotta, you gotta, you gotta shape the neck right. You gotta like do this. So like there was a lot of development that went into like translating the two and it wasn't easy. And like sometimes the first iteration was kind of like, ooh, that's kind of scary looking. Like that's not gonna work. So right. keep, you know, massaging it and, make, and making it better. And so, you know, the end result I think is, is amazing. And even when we were doing visual effects reviews, it was like, you know, Devin would be there, like, okay, you know what? Let's 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 tweak here. Let's tweak there. Let's 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 make this a little bit better. And it was always right on time. You know, it just made that much of a of a difference. Was it somewhat like the you know the journey of LeBron in this movie, where you had to let them be really animated? Because I feel like if you are translating anything, it, you know, and those guys are like always striving for realism, right? So to like push that that wackiness even yeah. in the CGI, right. Absolutely, you know, it, it, you know that, was, that was part of it, but it's, it's more than just like, you know, even eyes bulging out or like, you know, necks being stretched or whatever. It's like just, even just the, the subtlety of, of a smile, you know, that, where you, that you have, there's such detail that's involved with that, you know, that, you know, of course I have a humongous, you know, respect and appreciation for 
the process now that I didn't have before. And then looking at it and, make, and making sure that we, that we were true to those characters. We didn't want to do Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, we didn't want to get caught doing, you know, what they had at first had done and we didn't like get burned for it, you know? We knew that that might be a possibility, but like once we kept, you know, you know, tinkering away at it and chiseling away, it was, it was all about like, you know, making sure that we were true to, you know, who these characters originally were. You were well into production when the news broke about Zendaya for Lola. When did that sort of enter the mix? Well, we were in talks with Zendaya for a while. Um, and, you know, she really was a fan of the movie. You know, we showed her to her and she was like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta be a part of that. And we thought like, what a great representation of Lola. You know, this here's a, here's a young lady who's taking control of her, of her, of her life, control of her brand, control of, 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 of her, her, her talking points, um, you know, very powerful, very feminine, um, and the embodiment of what we thought Lola should be, you know? So, you know, she was the perfect person. And like, you know, she's having a great moment right now. Um, and we, we love, you know, the fact that, that she was, that she loved the movie. And so, you know, we, uh, you know, you know, all these things go with, with Hollywood with, with negotiations and, you know, it all worked out for the best, you know, at the end of the day, she was, you know, fantastic. She did a great job, you know, embodying that character. Well, one of the interesting things about this movie is that it takes place in a world where Space Jam exists or existed, right? Because young LeBron has the, the backpack. Were you a huge fan of the, uh, of the original film? And was that always an element that you wanted to bring to it, this kind of meta-awareness of the original? I tell you what, you know, I, I had not seen the original. Really? Until two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd seen bits and pieces of it you know, uh, cable and stuff like that. But I remember, you know, but when that movie came out, it was like 96. I was, you know, I was in, in, you know, just finishing film school. I was wondering why I wasn't making feature films at that point. Why was I not Orson Welles and I haven't made my first movie? Why wasn't I John Singleton and and I haven't made my first movie yet? You know, so um, that wasn't my focus. Um, And, you know, that was essentially to me, a family or a kid's movie. So, you know, for me, I, my my love of the Looney Tunes began when I was, you know, uh, you know, a young child. You know, on Saturday mornings, like watching the the, the tunes on, on on Saturday morning, having a bowl of cereal and you know staring at you know the, them do their antics. So I had a great love for the Looney Tunes. I have a great love for basketball. So melding the two, you know, again, not knowing it was the movie I needed to make or that I was going to make eventually became, you know, Space Jam, A New Legacy. And, you know, yeah, we wanted to make nods to, you know, to it, um, but we, we, needed, we needed to be our own animal as well. This is the second Space Jam movie to not actually be set in space, but I have a theory that the space in Space Jam 2 is cyberspace. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, look, I'm in space now. You're in space. You're Where? in space. But that is an inner space. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, definitely uh, is cyberspace. No question. Okay. Okay. okay great. Um, there's also a great cameo in this movie where uh, Rick and Morty kind of come and visit them, right? Um, can you talk about what that was like? Were, were, were Justin and Dan involved in this? I mean, what did they think about the whole process? Yeah, no, they loved it. They voiced the characters and everything. I mean, it was like, I mean, look, I don't watch Rick and Morty. I, you know, I, I'm not unfamiliar with, with them, but I knew they were very popular. I knew that people really liked them. Um, and I think they're, you know, really, really fun, irreverent character. 
and and what better way to do it with with Taz? So yeah, I mean, we we pitched a, a, a deck. We really liked the idea and, and and how it fit into the montage. We pitched it to them, and they were like, "Okay, cool, we'll do it." Wow, that's amazing. After two years of dealing with green screen and animation, and I know you know if we over to IMDb, you're, you're you're associated with Hot Wheels at this point, but but are you looking at a for a palate cleanser in there? You know, something where two people in a room, just a couch, something like that, or every time I do a movie, I'm on, and I'm on set, I'm like, I can't wait to start writing again. I can't get I get away from my, all these people. When I when I'm writing, I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta get to set. So you know, it, 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 that's how it goes. And um, whether it be a palate cleanser or not, I don't know. And by the way. I don't, I don't even know that I'm, I got to talk to whoever's doing Hot Wheels because it's not me. Like, I don't know anything about it. But 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 you're, you're, like, the, you're like the fifth interviewer that said, oh, yeah, you're doing this Hot Wheels thing. And I'm like, I better start looking at my IMDb find what's happening there. But you know what? It's possible. I am doing, um, you know, a, a limited series for Peacock next, but about, uh, based on my first movie, The Best Man. So that, that'll happen, you know, before I do anything else. Um, but I, that said, I, I, I would certainly embrace doing a, uh, a CGI movie again, uh, heavily VFX movie again. I'd do an animation movie again. I, I, really, I really love the process. It's so creative and so inventive, and it offers a world of possibilities. So I really do like the, the possibility of doing it. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. The movie was so, so fun, and it was great to get to talk to you today. Thanks so much. Really All appreciate right. it. Take care. We should have asked him when he finished working on these things. Cause you know, with these films, with so many effects, sometimes, I mean, you are a week, 10 days out and you're still waiting for shots to be dropped into the film. Right. I hope he gets a nice rest before. Well, <laughs> if he is in fact working on hot wheels or if he's just going to go off and do something else, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I guess a lot of that depends on how space jam, a new legacy does at the box office or over on HBO max uh, starting next week. Right. So, Speaking of next week, we'll get another show, another fine-tuning out the door then, folks. But until that time, if you're looking for something to listen to, there's nothing better out there than Light the Fuse, uh, Drew's wonderful podcast about uh, the Mission Impossible film franchise. Have you now officially uh, wrapped up the, the, the Brian De Palma stuff, or do we still have some more? We have the, the two-part Brian De Palma uh, episodes are up, but... I think he liked him enough that he could come back. So that's my, oh. now that's my goal is to get him back on the show. So that would be yeah. killer. It was, those were a lot of fun. And we've got, we've got a lot of great episodes coming up. Mm. So check them out. Okay. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, and also on our side of the fence, we do, we, we, you know, we've got Disney dish with Len Testa. We've got Marvel us Disney that I do with Aaron Adams. Likewise, universal joint with Dustin fuse. So hopefully we'll finally get that out the door and, if you want to hand over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. If folks want to keep tabs on what you're up to social media-wise, Drew, how do they do that? Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Twitter and, and on Instagram it's, it's Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. So we'll be back with more stories next time.